You ready for Genesis 2? Yeah. What a good book this has been. Genesis, if you're a guest with us as a church, we just go straight through books of the Bible. Verse by verse, line by line, we're going through the book of Genesis. And um, it's been a really, really good book for us. Maybe to kick this off or to set this in motion, instead of recapping all that last week was, because Genesis 2 is a recap of Genesis 1, uh, maybe just to kind of set this in motion, we're going to look at Genesis 2 through the framework of micro and macro. You're going to see those words pop on the screen quite often, micro, macro. Here's what I mean by that. My dad, growing up, he, he had an office and he, he was a pastor and um, for a portion of his life and, and I would go into his office and he had, it was back in the day, <laughs> we as a staff don't even have offices, but back in the day, you know, they had the office things and he had the, the big plaque on his desk when you walk in, it was real ominous and it, it had the plaque that was wooden that had the metal thing on it and it said, Dr. Charles R. Nicholson. And I remember walking into that, whether I had to come in there to get money or whatever it was, and every time that plaque would strike me, and it would strike me because it just seemed so um, gaudy or, or pompous or, or um, it just seemed like, boom, because I looked at him and I was like, that is not Dr. Charles R. Nicholson, that's Chuck, <laughs> a.k.a. Dad. A.K.A. now Papa. <laughs> like he just didn't, it didn't fit. But as an illustration, the macro zoomed out view was, I, I mean, he earned the title, he earned it, whatever, um, blah, blah, blah. But micro, he meant more to me. It was, it was so more than just a name. Like there was details. It was specific. You got to get that. People get tripped up all the time on Genesis 1 and 2. It's not that complicated. Genesis 1 is a backed-up macro view of creation. We walk through it. Days 1 through 7, this is what it looked like. Boom. Genesis 2 is going to go, all of that, zoom in to man. What happened with just man? The micro details. Does that make sense? you got to get that. If you don't get that, you'll come up with all convoluted ideas of what Genesis is going on. It's, it's, it's not that complicated. So we're going to look at macro and micro. It's going to kind of pendulum back and forth. So this is our goal today, um, to kind of zoom in on Genesis 2 and look at the account of man. Really, if, if you would come to our systematic uh, theology class on Wednesday nights, this would be one of the things that we would look at. It's just the doctrine of man, if you want to kind of hone into a specific thing. What is humanity? What's the purpose of humanity? Is there intent with humanity? Uh, what's the design of humanity? This is all that's going to go on today. So let's look at this together. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 4, which is where we left off last week. Hopefully, by God's grace, we'll make it through chapter 2 today. Um, Cole Beckett um, asked me yesterday, are we going to stand for reading the Scripture? Because it lasted a long time last week, Dad. Um, and I looked at him and I said, well, that's good cardio, bud. Um, you need to work on it? No. So we're not going to stand, um, but we're just going to kind of dissect through it this week. So here we go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. That little phrase right there, these are the generations of, literally can inter- be interpreted, this is the history of. So when you heard me last week say Genesis is narrative history... That phrase is repeated ten times throughout Genesis. Five times in the first half of the book, five times in the last half of the book. 
Five times with the four major events, five times with the four major people. Moses says over and over and over, this is the history of, therefore it is the history of. So Genesis, this is the history of, in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now that should already get you excited. Because last week we looked at God and we, we looked at his name being Elohim, El, right? Big macro, he's, he's Elohim, boom, uh, he's this big creator God, but yet that's not his name. Just like Adam's name is Adam, but Adam is human, right? I could walk around and call you human, and you would go, that, what, Troy, have you, why are you calling me human, right? Well, that's a lot of times what we do with God. God's name is not God. That's the type being he is. His name is Yahweh. For the first time in the Bible, look at what just happened. Genesis chapter 1, God's name Elohim was used 35 times. Now for the first time, it's not just God, it's what? Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. Personal. We just went macro. This big God, Genesis chapter 1, is doing all of these things. And Moses is intent by going, now we're going to hone in to this very personal God. You can know him. He's not just a being. He's Yahweh. He's, he's specific. He's intent. He's in the micro details. And this is what's going on with this. So that's our first macro micro as we look at it. And I bring that up because... You can never really know the intent of someone's heart until you kind of get to know them more personally. And that's what's going on here is Moses zooms in. He wants to show us this personal God who loves us and cares for us, his, his heart, if you will. Uh, you, you've heard me mention Macy Lane when she had her surgery back when she was, you know, five and we're there at UAB Hospital. And I'm not joking about this. Julie Beth can, can tell you about this. Um, I had gone down like a good dad to go eat Milo's while she was getting prepped and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so she's up there, and, and I had kind of walked down. And so there I am in downtown Birmingham where, you know, you never know what's going to walk past you in downtown Birmingham. And, and so I'm sitting there. I didn't expect Spider-Man to walk past me that day, but lo and behold, he did. And so as I come out of Milo's, here comes Spider-Man. And I was like, oh. All right. My wildest dream has just come true. We're now in a Marvel movie. Um, But here comes Spider-Man. And then my second thought was, or I'm about to get murdered. (laughs) Spider-Man is about to whack me right here. And he just goes bebopping by. And I didn't think anything about it. And I thought a lot of things about it. I digress. So going back in the hospital, going back up, Macy Lane has her her surgery done. and, And we're standing there in the hallway. And then all of a sudden... This crazy man, who I thought from macro view was a nut job, all of a sudden comes down the side of a building in a container washing the windows of Children's Hospital, dressed as Spider-Man. And so now, all of a sudden, I feel like a piece of garbage... And here's this man, and they're so good at this. They're so cool at details, and they do this to, to not scare the children, and that's fun. And, and so the window washer, broad view, nut job on the street, got to know him, got to know the intent, and all of a sudden it becomes way more beautiful. This is what's going on in Genesis 2. Genesis 1, man created. Okay, that's odd. Genesis 2, he has designed purpose. 
detail, and that's the beauty of where we're going. What a good book. So here we go. We've made it through a verse. Let's go to at least one more. Here we go. Uh, So now Moses is going to start retelling the story. Um, This is not a disconnect from chapter 1. It's just a retelling in the same way that Tyler LaFoy. Tyler's speaking next week, or I think it's the week after that. I can't remember which one. And when he comes up, he will give a recap from the last week. He will not retell every detail in order. He'll just kind of give a recap. Well, this is what Moses does. There's no discrepancies between 2 and 1. It's just a retelling. So he retells what happened. And here's what he says in the same broad sweeping terms that Tyler will. He zeroes in on the doctrine of man by saying, all right, look, let's go back. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. The Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. Uh, There was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Macro, Genesis 1, God created, boom. And so now... He takes us back to day three, part A. I guess you would say, this is day three before lunch. Go back to day three. In other words, Moses is saying, go back to, remember, God first, day one through three, formed the land. And then day four through five, day, the three, three, blah, 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 four through six, he did what? He formed it and then he filled it. Right. So before he filled it, this is where he's taking us back to. And then he kind of zooms in to, I think, what's going on here is the history of the fall. So now, is he not just saying, all right, guys, remember, Moses is leading the people out of Exodus. They're asking, how was the world created? And he says, here's what's going on. Before all that happened, and connect the dots, before mankind fell. Now, Troy, where do you get that from? Well, he starts saying things like this. Before there was any wild things that sprang up from the ground, before there was any bush or wild plants, before there was chapter 3, thorns and thistles. Before all that happened, before there was rain, where does rain come from in the Bible? Where's the first time rain is mentioned? The flood. (laughs) We're nowhere even near rain yet. And so Moses is going before the flood, before the fall, showing us that the beauty of creation is there's also a redemption to come, and he's already connecting the dots. So before all of that, before the working of the ground, before man had to toil and labor and all these things, before all that, he's going to now expound on the doctrine of man, which happened in verse chapter 1, verse 26, the crown jewel of humanity, also said in the fall, verse 7. Then, before all that... Then the Lord God, Yahweh, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Oh, church, a personal God breathes life into man, not random chance, not just random chaos so today we would hear things like this, well, the world came into existence because nothing became something. And Scripture says, no, 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 the intimate details are a specific God had a specific purpose with specific dirt and specific intentionality to bring about man. There's creative design to this. Macro, boom, man was created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1. Male and female to reproduce after their kind, broad, glorious strokes. Now do you see the contrast? Genesis 2, boom. There were actual elements 
that formed you. Namely, dirt. Specific pieces of dust were placed together to form man, and then that dust was given the kiss of life. I love that, man. The whole breath and the nostrils thing. I know it's going to sound strange to you guys, but you already know I'm a weirdo anyway. I cannot help but think but anything other than the movie Sandlot when I think of this. I think of squints and windy peppercorn. It just is what it is. It was somebody else. Somebody helped me. You thought of it too, right? Okay, good. Yes. So yeah, you think about that and squints goes in the water and then Wendy Peppercorn jumps off and gets him and drags him out. And then all of a sudden, and what happens to old squint? I mean, he comes, that brother comes to life in a million different ways. Boom, life. And then they run out. I know that illustration breaks down. I get it. Don't come up to me and go, your illustration breaks down. My illustration breaks down. Okay. Nonetheless, you get the point. This is the beautiful moment. Where the Lord goes, boom, life. You were breathed life into on purpose, by design, not mistake. And so we see this. Our Lord doesn't create man as an afterthought, but man is the intentional climactic product of creation. This is the culmination of his, his beautiful uh, design through the whole creation process. And so, yes, big picture, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Small picture, you're also dust. Macro, micro. Big picture, you are but a puff of air. That's a pretty big God, right? Micro, you are meticulously formed by God's hands in your mother's womb. From Adam, you came, big picture. You came from Adam, boom, the man. From Adam, you came from the earth. So this this great grand lesson that we should be joyful of our creative design, but doesn't it also push us to the fact that we should be pretty humble because from ashes we came and to ashes we'll go. You can't miss this throughout the book of Genesis. It's a beautiful picture. And then verse 8. And then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Eden literally means delight. God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided, and it became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there's gold. That's a pretty awesome spot. And the gold of that land is good. I've never met bad gold, but... And there's also this other thing, a bedillium, uh, onyx stoner there. The name of the second river is Gihon. Um, it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flowed from the east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Macro view, man, this thing is packed with some cool stuff. Back up, macro view, zoom out. It is a place of endless possibilities, isn't it? I mean, endless. I mean, you walk around and there's good gold everywhere, specifically placed 
in a garden. What's more beautiful than a garden? <laughs> Snicker, because I don't want nothing to do with a garden. <laughs> Y'all know our luck with a garden, but I, I feel like it would be a good place if you actually knew what you were doing. He's in a garden. And you can easily come up with Tigris and Euphrates, but admittedly, you just can't come up with Pishon and Gihon. There's nothing you can do archaeologically to come up with those two rivers. You can't find them. You can't find any trace of them. You can't find anywhere that all four would connect and form a head. You cannot do it. And for those of us who already know the rest of the story, we know why you can't find those two. Because they're now guarded. However, another dimension or whatever... By an angel, and not just an angel, but what is this brother holding? Flaming swords. <laughs> yeah, so we, don't, so we know the rest of the story, but they didn't. And, and so he's telling them all these things. But for now, you've got a picture macro view of this unstingy God. He's not stingy at all. Please, don't you ever say our God's stingy. Don't you ever buy the lie, he's withholding from me. He doesn't want me to have this, or he doesn't. Oh, man you got an unstingy God who's giving man everything. Everything he needs. And not only everything he needs, but everything he wants. Adam didn't have a wanter. That's the old Dolan Davis reference back there. That's way back in the day. Adam didn't have a wanter. Because he had no lack of anything. He had everything. And so... In this endless possibilities, he's got a garden, he's got man, he's got plants, he's got gold, he's got onyx. He's got God himself. And better than that, well, not better than that, that was heresy. Lord, do not strike me, brother. Along with that, the tree of life. He, he could live forever. He's, he's got everything. It sounded a lot like Jamaica. I'm just going to be honest. Um, me and Julie Beth got to go a couple of years ago to Jamaica. And I can't prove that Eden was Jamaica, but it could have been. <laughs> it should have been. You know, it took us 20 years to get there. They're asking us, when are you going to come back? And we're like, listen, <laughs> if I'm alive in 20 more years, we might get to make it back. But here we go. It's, it's this Jamaica moment. We're, we're sitting there. We've, we've done had breakfast. And then we go sit down in our chair, and they just keep bringing us stuff. And we're looking out at the island, and just laughing at people, and blah, blah, blah. And then this girl comes up with a funnel cake this big with chocolate poured all over it. <laughs> And she brings it up, and I was like, ma'am, I don't mean any offense, but I will vomit. I mean, I already know you think Americans are gluttonous and all that kind of stuff, so I'm going to kindly say, I can't do this. She says, well, I'm just going to leave it here. And I ate it. <laughs> I ate every piece of that thing. And then we went and ate again. Anyway, <laughs> Jamaica eventually ran out of money and time. <laughs> but in heaven... In the perfect garden of Eden, the place of God, endless possibilities forever. It was beautiful. Macro. And now we kind of start honing into micro. There's not only a place of endless possibilities, but it's now also for the first time in the Bible, a place of potential disaster. Did you catch that? It's the first time in the Bible that you hear anything you're like, dun, dun, dun. At the tree of life, it's there. But also, the what? There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they 
feel that. And so he kind of zooms in a little bit. And uh, remember, they don't know how the rest of the story goes down. They don't know the rest of the history. And so in this moment, it's kind of like every mission trip that I have ever led. Um, Every mission trip I've ever been on was a place where you have to say to people, do not drink the water. And lo and behold, there's always somebody that drinks the water. And then hell hath no fury, like Montezuma's revenge in another country. It is brutal. Some of y'all are laughing because y'all are the ones that drank the water. Confession time. If that's you, raise your hand. You drank the water. All right? I just want to make sure when we go on the next mission trip, we don't take you. You're not invited. But nonetheless, this is what's going on. We, we feel this. And for the first time, micro view, we know that there's the potential for disaster. So somebody may ask the question, well, what's so wrong about eating from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? Let's just look at this real quick. It's the same thing that trips up man today. It's the same exact temptation that befalls all of us. Macro, God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he says, if you just trust me, you'll find rest. Rest in my wisdom. Micro, but along with God's sovereignty, there is very real human permission and responsibility. And if you choose to eat from that, you are choosing to have your own wisdom apart from me. And that you'll find disaster. All of a sudden, we're seeing the rumination of the potential for sin and all this kind of stuff pop in. And, and we feel that. And so he zones in. And so it's moral autonomy. It's sidestepping God's word to be wise, loving, caring, cultural, whatever. And if you do away with God's inerrant word, you can do whatever you want to do. You really can. And so that's why we at Safe Haven take such a firm, strong stance. If you've never gone to our website and read our distinctives, we're clear. We don't hide anything. We're not a church that just kind of throws all the major orthodoxy out there and then you can find what's under the rug later. We don't do that. I I think that's cowardly of a church. And I think it's honestly hypocritical. But nonetheless... We put everything out there. This is why we take a, such a firm stance on our belief in the inerrancy of God and His Word. And so in this moment, we, we see this potential micro, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper for him, fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field... And every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And then man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heaven, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God, there's Lord God, he keeps, you should see that, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place of its flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. Then the woman said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, And if you are married in this room, there is a 99.9% chance this was said at your wedding. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. Macro, zoom out. Chapter 1, man was created in God's image. 
Micro, chapter 2, catch this. Man was created and he had purpose and he had pleasure and he had companionship and all of this littered with a crystal clear design and intent. Details. Let's just kind of wash through this again real fast. I don't want you to miss what's going on in this story. It's so good. First, God allows Adam to see all the animals and to name everything. Now that takes a long process, I'm sure. But nonetheless, he goes up and the bird flies up. And Adam goes, well, that is a woodpecker. And God, I'm going to call it that because it's, well, I mean, it's pecking on wood. And God looks at him and goes, I, not very creative there, Adam. But we'll go with it, you know. And then Adam names Brontosaurus and Megalodon and whatever. And, and then God goes, hey, we're getting somewhere. We're growing, you know, whatever. boy. And then, second, God doesn't waste that moment. He allows him to do this for a purpose. And so God looks at him and he says, Hey, Adam, we've, we're done naming all the names. Um, hey, did any of, them, any of them catch your eye? And then, of course, Adam goes, Them monkeys are some funny little suckers, God. Because let's be honest, everybody loves the monkeys. Like there's nobody that doesn't love the monkeys. We go to the zoo and they could get rid of every other animal. You go to look at the monkeys. That's what you do. That's what I do. That's what all of humanity does. Anyways, he looks at him and God goes, yeah, they're funny, man. Those monkeys are funny, right? And he looks at him and he goes, hey, Adam, but the monkeys caught your eye, but did anything catch your heart? And Adam goes, You know, God, because there's nothing like me. All those things are fun, but there's nothing that fits. And then God doubles down on the crown jewel of his creation. And he says, I've made a good creation, but I'm about to make this sucker pop. Shine. No cap. (laughs) Was that right? Would I do it right, Camden? No? No, okay, you can, uh, we'll talk later. Right. He doubles down, puts man to sleep, performs a surgery. Man wakes up out of surgery. And I'm not trying to be uncouth or irreverent or whatever, but God brings a naked woman to Adam out of sleep. And then all of a sudden he goes, Whoa, baby! Whoa, man. (laughs) And then God goes, she shall be called woman. (laughs) And all of a sudden his heart pumps and he's like, yes. Microview. And the creation explodes in a celebration. It's complete. Chapter one, chapter two, same story, big, super detailed God's glory, mankind's delight. Men, men in this room, you are awesome and incredible. Don't you ever let anybody tell you anything different. Whether you have flowing locks of hair or whether you are follicularly challenged. 
whether you got the perfect skin or, I mean, you see how red my nose is? It's from a baseball game yesterday. I mean, it's just glowing. Christina can, I mean, just olive skin, blah, blah. I walk out in the sun, I look like Rudolph, all right? Perfect. 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 Men, you're incredible. You need to hear that. Women. Intelligent, caring, you smell way better than men. And let's just be honest, you just make the world look better. And you're like, Troy, that sounds so southern. No, stop. Stop. You need to hear that you were created in beauty on purpose. That's why God made you. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Marriage. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible gift. And in marriage, Adam is met with this helpmate and glorifying God together on purpose and all this kind of stuff. And yes, there are all kind of cultural buzz topics that come out of this passage. Y'all ready for them? You just want to skip them and head on to Arby's and whatever? Nah, we ain't going to skip them because that's not what Safe Haven does. We're going to hit them. All right, here we go. This is where I make enemies and friends alike. So, nonetheless. These are some absolute firestorms, but let's look at them. By design, purpose, detail. This is Genesis chapter 2. By design, God created two genders, male and female. There's not 10, there's not 30, there's not whatever, there's just two. We ought to be okay with saying that because that's what God did. That's what He made us, male and He made us female. DNA, chromosomes, blood type, all this kind of stuff. And so in the fall, mankind didn't embrace that. And in our fallenness, mankind embraces other alternatives. And any alternative other than God created male and female is an offense to God's creation. It's an offense. By design, by purpose. By purpose in this passage, God created heterosexuality. The sexual intent and design of mankind being created was for procreation. Mankind after their kind, just like every other kind out of their kind in Genesis chapter 1. That's God's design. In the fall, this is why Romans 1 strikes a nerve with people. People read Romans 1 where God, um, through Paul, speaks about homosexuality. And Paul says it's unnatural, it's dishonorable, and it's shameless. And we hear those words and we go, well, Paul's just mad. Well, he's not mad. Paul is thinking about Genesis 2. And he's going, the natural design was for heterosexual relations. And Paul says, therefore, anything other than that is unnatural. It's dishonorable. It's a perversion. He's not being mean. He's being honest. That's by purpose, by control. God created marriage. That was God's control for sexual relationship. And it was the worshipful container of monogamous intimacy. That's God's design. And so in the fall, anything outside of that is an offense to God's control mechanism. By limitation... So in this passage, we can also see God created monogamy. And in monogamy, 
they became how many flesh? One. One flesh. They became one flesh. And humanity, accepting anything other than that, the more the merrier, whatever, is an offense to God's limits. There we go. That's kind of heavy, right? For, for, for you truth people in here, you're like, yeah, do it some more. And all the grace people are like, oh, Troy, you're about to get fired. It's just the truth. I'm not going to hide behind either way. What is the balance of truth and grace? I'm not in safe haven. We'll never run from the truth. This is the truth of God's word. We don't get to rewrite it. Grace. You probably heard some of that. 90% of, I'm not going to say you, I'm going to say us. Because I know where I've jacked up some of these, all right? In a room this size, just like there are some people who struggle with abortion and gluttony and lying and gender understanding and sexuality and monogamy and all that kind of stuff. Hey, you're welcome at Safe Haven Church. You're welcome here to contemplate the truth of the gospel, to hear the glorious news of Christ, to hear the riches of God's inerrant word. You are welcome to hear that. You're welcome to sit at my dinner table. We're way more alike than we're different. I can assure you of that. Just ask Julie Beth. But we will never, not where I'm here, we will never affirm these things as acceptable and we will never affirm these things as not sinful because they are and they're not acceptable. So with that said, we love you enough to tell you that because God wrote it for your good and His glory. And God's love is found in raw truth, not just licentiousness. Licentious living. That's where love is found. It's the illustration of if Tucker knows, Tucker's back there in the corner, if Tucker knows that there's a snake right outside that door and you're about to walk outside that door and Tucker says, hey, you know, you might not want to walk out there and you go, I don't care what's out there, I'm going to keep going. And Tucker goes, well, I want to love you well and I want to accept you and be tolerant of you just head on out, then Tucker doesn't love you. Tucker only loves you if he goes, there is a snake on the other side of this door. Well, yeah, I want to walk out there. I'm not afraid of snakes. This snake will bite your leg. (laughs) And let's just be honest, it's a creepy snake. Go out that door, go out that door, bust out the back and roll down the hill. Just don't go out this door. If he, if he tells you the truth, then Tucker loves you. And if you demand that he affirm your belief despite truth, then you don't love him. And he don't love you. It's truth. So we will always stand for truth at Safe Haven Church. With that said, book recommendation. I know going through this, 
it's easy for truth people to go, let's just talk about truth and whatever. Hey, here's some grace. Um, if you struggle with homosexuality, um, if you struggle with that in the past, uh, I want to recommend a book for you. This is the be- easiest thing I can do. I'll, hey, we can grab tea. We can, Edgar's Coffee, you know, whatever. Um, there's a book by Jackie Hill Perry. Y'all have heard of Jackie Hill Perry? Um, phenomenal lady. Um, book is Gay Girl, Good God. Um, it, it tells her story of how she walked through all that and the c- crazy balance is in the end, um, she takes a very biblical stance. It's a beautiful balance of uh, truth and grace. I would highly recommend this to you. And if you're like, Troy, um, um, I don't have money for it, whatever, you can have this copy. You can come get this today. And you're like, Troy, that would make me feel awkward. Just text me. I'll send it to you. I'll Amazon to you. I'll bring it to you. Whatever. Phenomenal book. Or if somebody you know struggles with this, same-sex attraction or whatever it is, uh, this is a fantastic resource. I, I would highly encourage you to read that and or get it for you. So with that said, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, what have we seen today, church? <laughs> details. A lot of details. I told y'all there's going to be a bunch of micro details. I didn't lie to you. Um, we've seen gender matters. And it is not a Democratic or Republican thing. Just stop with that nonsense. Gender's not Democratic or Republican. It's a biblical thing. Sexuality matters are not phobias or hate. It's a biblical thing. Um, complementary partnership is not white evangelical or fundamentalistic. It's God's design. Humanity is a Genesis thing. And, therefore, it's a worship thing. God designed for one man to marry one woman, and they bring him glory through the fullness of their relationship, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and, yes, sexually. And what a wild miracle that is. I mean, that is a big miracle, right? That you can lock two humans in a room behind a door, come back 12 months later, unlock the door, and if they haven't killed each other, may come out with three, four, five more kids. It's a, it's a crazy thing, the miracle that it is. So in Genesis, we've got love, joy, fruit, sharing, equality, helpmates, recreation, reproduction, nakedness, funnel cakes. <laughs> what, what, now we've just gone totally digress, and I've made my father-in-law vomit in his mouth. Um, so with that said, I should, I should be quiet. Um, but let's be honest about these things as a church, and let's be loud about them. Because if we're not loud about them in celebratory manner, the world is not going to celebrate these things around our kids. They're just going to give them distorted perspectives. We shouldn't be ashamed of these things at all. So, anyways, my kids are like, I wish you wouldn't talk about it so much. Um, here's what we're at so far. God created the heavens and the earth, and it was... God filled all the land and the seas with animate life, and it was... God created man, woman, marriage, and it was very good. It's fun, church. You are crafted by the hand of God. There's no reason to hide from Him. He knows you better than you know yourself. So, unbeliever in this room, don't be ashamed to come to Him just like you are. Don't try to polish it up. Come to Him. The gospel. 
Hey, if you can't preach the gospel out of Genesis 2, you just cannot preach the gospel. You're in Adam. You are a nasty mess. And the first Adam walked up to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he goes, God, I want some wisdom. Apart from you, here we go. Or maybe it was a banana. Whatever. Bites the fruit. Dead. We're dead. Why? Because Adam did it. Innate in our bloodstream. And before we get too excited and pawn it off on Adam, every single one of us has walked up to that tree, haven't we? And said, I won't. In Adam, we're dead. First Adam. Hey! But Christ, second Adam steps onto the scene. Satan walks up and says, right off the bat, hey, I'll give you some knowledge if you'll just follow me. Here's some fruit. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but I live from every single word from the mouth of God. I don't want your fruit. I find my wisdom and rest in what God has said. I choose to obey Him. And in doing so, He earned life. Never failed, never faltered. First Adam jacked up. Second Adam, glorious. Second Adam deserves life, chooses death as a substitutionary work. On the cross, takes all the wrath that is due this Adam, takes all... All the fullness of God's curse and just nasty. The whole motif of wrath is so gross. It's poured out. He's cursed on the tree. And it was deserved this guy. So that all who trust in his work, he, the winner of life, can freely take that out of his bank account and put it in ours. That's the scandal of the gospel. His reward, our hope. His life substituted for our death. And if Tyler can't lead us through communion after that, he can't lead communion (laughs) ever again. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Believer, we ought to be going, how on earth can all this be? that He would allow us to repent and start afresh and anew every single day. How can it be, miracle of grace? How could it be? And at the end of our how can it be, buddy, we ought to just drop our knees and worship. Well, Lord, I'm thankful for Genesis 2. Lord, I'm not looking forward to Genesis 3, but there's grace in that too. Um, But Lord, today, as we kind of end in this Zootopia moment where all the animals are dancing and there's a great wedding party and Adam and Eve are being Adam and Eve. Oh, man. It's just so right. They're walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Thank you. Thank you that we have the same availability and access to you as Adam and Eve. 
So through your word, thank you for letting us contemplate the beauty of your creation and the beauty of your creatures. And Lord, I am so... (laughs) I am so very thankful for the five creatures that I get to do life with. God, I'm thankful for my kids and how you knit them together in their mother's womb. They are incredible. And Lord, for my bride. Man. I am thankful for her mother who is in this room who you knit together. Julie Beth in her womb. I am so thankful for that. I am thankful that she said yes (laughs) after a lot of asking. (laughs) And I'm thankful that she stays around. I'm thankful for this church. Thankful for these people. Thankful for the struggles we've walked through together, for the joys we've celebrated. I've And I'm thankful that you would die for us. Just how, how can that be? To redeem all of us away from the tree that we've eaten from so many times and one day, as Revelation says, take us right back to the tree of life. Thank you for restoring all things broken. You are very good.